You're listening to the Science of Sports Recovery Podcast. I'm your host, Jace Craft, and today we are chatting with Corey Camp. Corey grew up a swimmer, and that consumed his life for 18 years until graduation day, where, as many of us, he found himself kind of at a loss of what to do, and found himself 40 pounds heavier than his athletic weight, and overall not prepared for life after sport. He has certainly got back on track now and works with former athletes to tap into their primal athletic mindset to create the life that they can be proud of. So let's be real, guys. Every athlete's career ends someday, whether that's when you leave college, whether that's when you're, you know, 40 or you have a major injury, but this isn't going to last forever. It's not fun to think about, but in this conversation, we are going to explore the idea of taking the mindset from being an athlete, being in training and recovering and competing into the world outside of, of sport and what life looks like after sport. You are more than an athlete. So wherever you find yourself, whether you're nearing the end of your career or you're smack dab in the middle, you'll get some takeaways from Corey to start implementing today, or at least some things to start thinking about as you go through your career, or maybe your career is already done. And there's just some things that you need to wrestle with. This is going to be a great episode for you. Let's dive in. You're listening to the Science of Sports Recovery Podcast. Each week, we explore how to recover more efficiently from training so you can work out harder and realize your full potential. This is the Science of Sports Recovery Podcast. Corey, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Chase, thanks for having me, man. Um, excited to chop it up here with you and just jam out on some some topics. I love all things recovery, so this is gonna be a fun one. Awesome, awesome. Well, uh, before we get into like specific recovery and, and stuff, I, I like to have the audience know a little bit of who they're listening to. So you have a, a swimming background. We know that from the intro, but tell us a little bit more specifics. Like when did you get into swimming and why was swimming the sport that stuck out for you? Um, it's funny. My, my dad swam in college as well. Mm. And and he was a big proponent of me getting involved in the sport. But ironically, my mom didn't want me. She didn't want me to feel pressured, you know? Sure, like yeah. She was like, you don't have to be exactly like your dad. Like, let's, let's wait and see. Mm-hmm. Well, when I was four years old, this is what was going on in the family dynamic. And then that weekend before, like, summer league swimming starts, this is like old school days where you go to the pool and you're signing up with yeah. pencil and paper. It's not online registration days just yet. <laughs> We're there. I'm hanging out with my dad because he's the head coach and he's filling out, taking people's registration. Mm-hmm. And he's just says, oh, just like go around and play. So being four years old, I am walking around the pool and I see this pool vacuum pole hanging out of the deep end. I go, that looks really fun to just like climb. Like, I don't know. Well, for those of you who don't know, at the bottom of a pool vacuum pole, there's this like rubber piece that has wheels on it and so of course when i go to climb this pole 
it rolls. And next thing I know, I'm four years old in about 14 feet of water. No idea how to swim. My dad has to swim the whole length of the pool to come and save me. I don't remember any of this. I just remember going to McDonald's in my dad's like extra baggy sweatshirt afterwards. And I was pretty happy then. But that kind of changed the my mom's perspective of like, yeah, we're not going to wait another year to get Corey involved in swimming. Like we're going to put him into lessons and I was really fortunate. Like I said, I don't remember much of that actual instant mm-hmm. because I was in lessons the next week and it wasn't like I had this fear of the water. I just, I took to it pretty naturally. Um, didn't mean I was great right away, but I at least yeah. enjoyed my time <laughs> in the water. For sure. Hey, man, I, I didn't learn like really how to swim. Like I could not drown, but I didn't really learn how to swim until fourth grade. So I was like... <laughs> the opposite (laughs) at least you know man it's a great i always say it's a great life skill and i oftentimes take for granted the abilities that i have in the water Mm -hmm. it's not normal like nor most people don't have that same ability yeah Um, so definitely definitely a good one so when was it then that you like started to take the sport seriously it was probably i was faced with that decision like we all kind of are where we're like, all right, what sport do we specialize in? Mm-hmm. I would say I hit that around sixth grade, seventh grade. Okay. And it, for me, it was between baseball and swimming. And I decided it's actually better at baseball at the time, but I liked swimming better. I was mm. better friends with the guys that I was swimming with than I was sure. playing baseball with. So I said, heck, I guess I'm going to do this thing uh, full time. And that's when it started for me doing the 4.45 a.m. practice before mm-hmm. school. And it just geared up from there it really wasn't until my freshman year of high school that I had like this breakthrough season where it was like okay that dream of being able to get a division one like college scholarship like it's not so much a dream like it's starting to become more of a reality Mm -hmm. so that was kind of the time frame there and then yeah fast forward through junior senior year of high school kept getting faster thankfully and started to get some looks from some different colleges Mm -hmm. looking around and I ended up choosing the University of Delaware to go and compete for four years at because honestly when I went on the recruiting trip there I just felt so much at home with the other kids that were a few years older than me but also with the coaching staff yeah it felt like they actually cared about me whereas a couple other schools they just cared about me as a swimmer it was just a little bit different there. It was like this holistic approach. So the way you've been kind of talking, it sounds like, you know, the people that you do sport with is very important to you. That's why you chose swimming over baseball and stuff. How much like, do you think you liked the people that you were with versus Mm -hmm. the actual sport? Like what was the breakdown of, Hey, I, I swim because I just like swimming versus I swim because I like my teammates. Ooh, I would love to say 50, 50 and I'll explain why. Cause I think the days where I hated swimming and didn't want to go to practice, I found that motivation and drive to go anyway, because mm-hmm. I liked the people that I was going with. Mm-hmm. So it really helped me out there. And then the days where I wasn't really loving the people around me. We were beefing for whatever reason, you know, I mean, you know how things are, especially in high school. Like I love the sport. So I was able to, to go and it was a fantastic disconnect, much like 
I would say much like running, right? You get mm-hmm. to just kind of put your head down and do your thing. Uh, and especially in swimming, like you're not talking very much while you're actually doing the thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're kind of in your own space. So for sure, it gave me the best of both worlds, I guess, for, is what I'm trying to say there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That one kind of shifted for me. Like in high school, I didn't have anybody to train with, really. Mm-hmm. So it was like all about the sport. Then I get to college and I had a great team. And then in running, we do get to talk to each other, uh, yeah. which ends up, you know, when you're on hours on each day on a run, you get a lot of weird conversations, but uh, you get really good bonds then as well. But um I'm curious to know because swimming is notorious for long practice hours, lots of time in the pool because there's no impact on your body as far as like when running or football or, you know, baseball, even you have that pounding motion where you can only do certain amounts of exercises before your body breaks down uh, or swimming, you know, you're floating kind of. So like, how what was your kind of practice schedule or how many hours were you spending in the pool um, a day or a week um, in high Mm. school and college I was about to say high school was definitely way more like swimming just swimming hours not a ton of like dry land stuff Um, and that kind of broke down I would say Monday Wednesday Friday were doubles um so hour-ish practice in the mornings for those. And then like a two, two and a half hour practice in the afternoon. Tuesday, Thursday, were usually around that two hour mark as well in the afternoons. And then Saturday morning was about a sometimes like three, three and a half hour uh, mm-hmm. workout session, which was just like, I get, I still get chills. Think of it. I'm like, yeah, that just doesn't sound great anymore. <laughs> um, I'm glad that was in the past. And yeah. then in, in college, I think, the only real difference was like we started to introduce the weight room a little bit more and it became two hour mornings, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, where an hour of that was weightlifting, an hour of that was swimming. Mm-hmm. And then you like did your thing during the day and then you came back for an afternoon two hour session mm-hmm. uh, and they were all just strict two hours. And then Saturdays, if you weren't competing at a meet, it was a, a longer, like either two or three hour practice. I noticed the, the, uh, quantity in college didn't really like we were no longer swimming for just hours and hours and hours it was like we were way more intentional with the training at that point Hmm. um which was a a big difference from the club team that i came from it was a great club team but they were like let's pound this yardage and just get a ton of reps and ton of time and so it was a nice change of pace it made going home to train though pretty challenging yeah (laughs) So what type of like injuries then um, did you have to deal with throughout your career? Cause it's different than like, uh, you know, contact sports and, and yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I'm fortunate in some ways I had no injuries um, that were like anything major, but I did have a few health problems. So my senior year of high school, as I'm getting recruited, there's one Saturday morning where I'm walking around to get back in line to do, we're doing sprints to finish out Mm -hmm. practice. And as I'm walking back around, I just collapse. I face plant on the the pool deck and I completely blacked out. And I was like, what the heck just happened? Everyone around me just looked like I tripped. So we went to the ER 
all these tests came back fine. They said it was just like a freak accident, except for it kept happening again and again and again. And it kept happening to the point where it was about once or twice a month, this random event would happen to me. And it, wow. my, would notice my heart rate would get really high and my blood pressure would drop. I would lose vision and I'd lose feeling in my hands, my feet. It wasn't, and I went through my whole senior year, my whole freshman season with this unknown condition. Uh, and then after my freshman season, I ended up getting surgery. And even that was like this experimental heart surgery, essentially, where they were like, we think this is what it is. It could be it. We're going to put you under. And the only way we're going to be able to tell is like to go through with the surgery and then we'll wake you up on the other end and say, Hey, like it was good. We'll give you a thumbs up <laughs> or Hey, like we were wrong. Like it wasn't what we thought it was. And Oh, you still have to recover for the next two months. Yeah. So that was like the only, I guess, quote unquote injury that I had to really mm. deal with, um, which was super weird going through that conference meet. My freshman year at the time was the fastest I had ever been. I had just won rookie of the year for mm. uh, Delaware in our conference. That was the first time to ever happen on the men's side of things. And then two weeks later, here I am in a hospital bed, like recovering from the surgery. Mm -hmm. I can't do any physical activity for a month. Yeah. I'm like, what, what's happening? Like, what is going <laughs> on here? This is so, such a different yeah. feel and world, but I was lucky to come back stronger. Did they, too. did they, uh, was their hypothesis right for the. Yeah. So what it was, was it's called AV node reentry. So you're probably familiar with your SA node starts mm -hmm. the electrical impulse goes down and then goes to the AV node. I had certain cells that were abnormal on my AV node where they would short circuit and send it right back up to the SA node before completing the rest of the, and because of that, the heart rhythm obviously became abnormal. Yeah. And because as a result of that, they quote unquote told me I didn't have a max heart rate. Um, and the one wow. time that they were able to measure it in a clinical setting, which was when they were doing the surgery, my heart rate was measured at 350 beats per minute, which explains why my blood pressure would drop because there's just no yeah. human heart isn't supposed to beat anywhere close to that. <laughs> That's like almost double what most people's max heart rate is. Yeah. Um, so it was pretty, it was a pretty gnarly experience, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. So how did that like before and after training mm. well i guess first of all, let's back up do they know what caused that is it just genetic fluke i think uh, it was just a genetic fluke they didn't have like a root cause um what was interesting what i kind of just discovered over time was it would only be an issue around periods of really high stress mm. so and you could then like set it set my body to a, like a timer and be like, all right, well, Corey just found out his like grandmother passed away from cancer, like give it 24 hours. And like, he's going to collapse on the pool deck, you know, the very stressful event. Yeah. Um, final exams. And I, and it wasn't until afterwards that I was like, huh, maybe I should learn how to like manage this stress in my life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Causing me a lot of physical limitations right now. Yeah. Like it would be a good idea to get a, <laughs> familiar with this. Sure. Yeah. So, so what was it then like before and after, because mm -hmm. I've kind of gone through not nothing to that extent, but I, 
I was having trouble finishing races my like junior senior year of college and then my fifth year I we found out kind of what was the cause of it but I still having this almost like trauma from like not believing that I can you know do that so I'm just curious to like know if there's any after effects with like hey you're you know cured now but you know there's still that like well am I yeah no and I think now I've been fortunate it's been a number of years at this point I'm trying to do quick math like seven years at Mm -hmm. least um since I had the surgery so definitely like right away I was very hesitant to do a lot of things like one of the things I found that triggered it a lot was holding my breath for an extended period of time. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, as a distance swimmer, like it doesn't really come into play, but you know, college coaches can be a little bit crazy sometimes. They're like, we're going to, you going to do 50 meters underwater, like holding your breath, like no breath, like go. And I'm like, uh, I can't do that. And they're like, no, like it's a mental challenge. Like you need to do it. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like I'm telling you, if I put my body in like this hypoxic state, like it's going to trigger this response and Mm -hmm. then I won't be able to practice the rest of the day. So like, I I understand the mental part of it, but I'm telling you, I have physical limitations. (laughs) So then on the other side of things, it was like really hesitant to even try those things because Mm -hmm. I knew it was triggers in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think, just like anything you just have to kind of like put your toe in see that it's okay like nothing yeah. happens and you just like slowly test it out and then mm-hmm. over time you can keep testing it and keep testing it and that's the only way you're going to be able to tell your your mind that hey it's it's gonna be okay like you can finish this race you can hold your yeah. breath for 50 meters or longer like, yeah it's tough though yeah you don't have to get it all back at once though and i think that's kind of like your main point there was you don't have to come back the next day and say i'm cured i'm back to normal it's more like okay let's test what i can do little by little rather than yeah i'm gonna go you know hold my breath for the whole length (laughs) you know maybe do 30 meters or 40 meters and then work your way into something that you should be able to do for it yeah and there's there was no like I wouldn't win a medal or like break a record for do it, you know, like going the full 50. So there was not that incentive there where I could be a little bit more Mm -hmm. laid back in this approach of like, let's just test it out. And I think that's, I mean, I see it now in life a lot with people that I work with. It's like, we get really, really scared when we think about something that's like so far out of our comfort zone, whether it's coming back from an injury or just, Mm -hmm in general life that we are paralyzed in inaction and we just don't take any action at all. Yeah. Really like this flow state that we're all after as just human beings, we want to perform at optimal as possible. Mm -hmm. It occurs more about like 5% out of our current comfort zone. Like we need some sort of challenge to stimulate like, okay, we have to overreach here and perform. Mm -hmm. And, but that's how we grow. And if we do that enough times, then that thing that was once 5% out of your comfort zone is now within it. And now yeah. you can, you can keep making strides that way. So just being very intentional with, all right, let's 
intentionally overreach here and there. I mean, you see it, you know, it from running too. Yeah. Yeah. So what about like you, you talk about intentionally overreaching and I think athletes in general are very used to this kind of thinking because every, every workout is essentially that, right. Mm -hmm. It's overreaching your body. Um, so then you can recover, uh, you know, better now in swimming, there tends to be a lot of like overreaching too much where mm. you can't recover for the next session or, you know, the next day or, you know, in the meet. And I know there's, I, I don't know who, uh, which like coach or whatever uh, was, but there is a, a swimming coach that was like coming out with like, Hey, we don't need to swim eight hours a day, you know, we can do the same amount, just more, you know, intense for three to four or, or what have you and get the same results. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to like, what was your recovery routine when mm. you were doing those, you know, three to four hour training bouts per day in high school and college? Um, definitely in college, a nap was so needed in between those days that we were doing like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, when we had the two hour morning, two hour mm -hmm. afternoon, like a nap was like my saving grace. And even if it was like just 30 minutes, that was a key, key yeah. thing for me. Um, and two, like, it was almost like this mental reset, right? Like I could 100%. trick my body into be like, you're fresh again. Like yeah. you just got a, a night's sleep, like practice, this morning didn't count. Like, yeah, let's go, let's go do it in the afternoon. Um, aside from that, I think I was just very intentional with what I was eating when I was eating it. Mm -hmm. um, being from the distance background, I needed to fuel my body like freaking crazy and make yeah. sure that I was staying adequately fueled. So, I mean, I was shoot, I was waking up pre practice. Uh, it's like four in the morning and I'm trying to eat some fruit snacks and a cliff bar and a banana before yeah. I go work out. And most people are like, that's too much food. And I'm like, well, I know I'm going to need some fuel mm -hmm. in my body. And then afterwards it was like another quick thousand calorie breakfast and mm -hmm. then take a nap, go to classes, get like a 1500 calorie lunch hope that digests in time for afternoon practice <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then dinner. Oh my God. Like that would just be like 3000 plus calories, of like just shove, yeah. stuff your face. Um, and it's crazy. Like I could not put on weight during those days and I was mm -hmm. eating like six to 7,000 calories a day. Wow. Um, but that just goes to show like how much the capacity that workload was requiring that fuel, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that was probably like the extent of how intentional I was with the recovery. I think my coaches were very good at understanding, okay, like a few days that week, we're going to really push it, but we're also going to have this balance of like, we gonna, we need to take that foot off the gas a little mm -hmm. bit on a Thursday afternoon or something like that to sure. really rebound for Friday and Saturday so that you're finishing the week strong. I mean, nothing you know, nothing's worse than finishing that last training session of the week. And you're just so beat up where the only mm -hmm. thing you want to do is crawl back to your dorm room and sleep for <laughs> yeah. five hours and then 
you have no social life. Like, how are you talking to anyone else? Exactly. <laughs> Sleeping your whole weekends away. Yeah. At least as a runner, we can talk to my teammates while I work out. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, no, I know, I know the feeling. Uh, I've done several hundred plus mile weeks of running and you're just like, you don't do anything besides eat, sleep, and, you know, at that time, do your homework for college and go to bed. <laughs> yeah, class, class somewhere in there. I think my favorite time of year was Delaware had this little mini master uh, around January. We called it winter session. And two out of my four years, I didn't take a class. So quite literally, like I had to be on campus, but my only job was to swim. <laughs> and it was beautiful. Like I just would yeah. go wake up in the morning, swim, come back, crush some food, crush a nap, watch a bunch of Netflix and yeah. like go back and repeat in the afternoon. Uh, and it was just, that was a did good you life. see your performance increase during that time? Like, was that some of your best uh, racing as well? Definitely. I th- and I think a lot of it was because I just, there's one less thing focus on, right? Well, mm-hmm in this case, like five less things. We usually are taking four to five classes at the same time. (laughs) So it was just something nice about, all right, I can just single track my mind. It's just performance focused right now. Like how can I perform as fast as I can in the pool Mm -hmm. as consistently as I can? Yeah. I see this with um, college athletes a lot where they'll go to college and then they want to get involved with everything and do their sport and, you know, join all these clubs and, and get their homework done and stuff. And then they never reach yep. their full potential because they're spread too thin around everything. And I said, I know like, you know, hacky sack club doesn't take a lot of energy, but it does take focus, you know, time, energy, where maybe you could be sleeping where now you're not because you're in, you know, this other, other, uh, organizations and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a, a really good lesson, right. Is understanding. I mean, that's something I really had to learn going into the entrepreneur space of mm-hmm. like, I want to say yes to freaking everything. Like I mm-hmm. love helping people. I love connecting with people. But if I say yes to everything, I have no time and I'm like poorly managing my own schedule, my own energy, and now we're facing burnout. So, I mean, once I was able to identify like, okay, what's important to me is me being asked to do this in alignment with that. Yes. No, Mm -hmm. it's a no, no matter how great of an opportunity might be like, I need to say no for my own like long-term well-being. Mm -hmm. And it's very similar to those days of sport, right? When you obviously like if you prioritized running and for me like when I prioritized swimming it was always looking at these decisions of like well I know Tuesday night has a phenomenal bar deal but I have Wednesday morning practice so it would be really counterproductive for me based off of what I want right now for me to go and say yes to my friends and go to the bar on Tuesday Mm -hmm. and get three hours of sleep and go to swim practice. Now, occasionally I would do that, but like obviously 80 per, more than 80% of the time, it was like, all right, no, that's got to wait. That's going to be there in the off season. Yeah. Right now it's like grind mode. We got to, got to hit it. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that leads me to you. You mentioned kind of your entrepreneur journey and, and post collegiate, uh, you know, life. And I think there's a hard transition for athletes, especially when they are all in on their sport. Mm. Uh, what comes next when it, they aren't going to the pros, but they're at a point where like their sport is just for me, it was like, I don't want to do it if I'm not, competing at a high level and it just like wasn't interested to me and I know that's um somewhat of your story too so could you just yeah. kind of go into like what happened from you know Corey in college to Corey out of college um over those next like 18 months if you stick around and listen to enough of our episodes here on the science of sports recovery podcast, you'll notice a common theme of importance of mobility in recovery and injury prevention. That's why I recommend checking out the ready states virtual mobility coach to help you improve your mobility, recoverability and injury prevention. The ready state is a brainchild of coach and athlete, Dr. Kelly Starrett who you can learn more about on episode 13. His virtual mobility coach program helps athletes understand the importance of recovery, pain relief, and self-care. In other words, it helps fix the recovery side of training so you can keep seeing results from your workouts. His program will guide you through the same mobilizations used on athletes in the NFL, NHL, and MLB. Provide custom tools for pain relief give you customized pre and post exercise mobilizations based on your training and sports schedule and deliver daily mobilizations to keep you on track to achieve your goals. You put your heart and soul into your workouts. Make sure you get the most of them by going to the readystate.com slash Jace. Again, that's the readystate.com slash J A S E. The link will also be in the show notes. Now back to the show. Yeah, I mean, that was a really rough transition looking back on it. So my last ever race in college was the 1650. And it was actually slower than I was my junior year of high school. Mm. And it was the worst ever performance, like worst ever placing and performance I'd ever had at a conference meet. And that was it. Uh, it ended and I graduated. And I was like, oh, okay. And so as I'm starting to process the end of that, I was like, well, obviously that didn't end the way I wanted to. I'm starting to apply to physical therapy schools because that was like always the dream. And I just was under this naive assumption that people in these schools would really care more about my swimming accomplishments than my classroom ones. I quickly found out that no one really cares how fast you are if you have a 2.9 GPA. So that dream shattered pretty quickly. And I found myself looking at sales jobs, which was something that I had never thought I would be doing, but I wanted to make money and become quote unquote successful as quickly as possible mm -hmm. and took a sales job, refinancing mortgages. And it wasn't that I didn't like working hard. I just didn't like working hard there. Like it was for like all the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. So that only lasted about eight to nine months. I got back into my roots of swim coaching uh, became a head swim coach at a country club. And from there, I grew a year-round program um, that they didn't have started. I started that up and became their assistant fitness director to kind of just like fill the time. And then COVID hit. And I was like, all right, well, 
I just asked myself this question of like, what kind of impact do I want to have beyond the country club bubble that I was working in? Mm -hmm. Um, Nothing wrong with the bubble there, but I want, I wanted a larger impact than just the one club that was very exclusive to become a member at. So that got me into the podcasting uh, of the athletic mindset podcast. And then it got me into this performance coaching of working with former athletes to help them just better understand themselves and increase their performance through that. So I, I draw on my movement background, but I take a lot of mindset stuff into that line of work mm-hmm. too. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty fun. It's honestly something that I really look forward to every day now. Yeah. That's awesome. So I know like if you read your website and kind of your bio, you go, uh, you know, quote unquote fit to fat, um, over the course of the year. Yeah. Uh, why do you think like as an athlete, I mean, obviously you know how to take care of your body, you know, you know, physical activity is important. Why do you think that that year, um, caused you to gain those 40 pounds? Mm. Well, I think what really started it was the way that it ended for me. So Mm. I didn't want anything to do with swimming for a while. And even on a deeper level, like I didn't want anything to do with the distance image that I had for so long. Like I struggled to put on weight. So I was like, wow, screw swimming. I'm going to bulk up and I'm going to get like super strong Mm -hmm. because I had coaches and maybe your strength coaches were the same way where they were basically telling you not to lift heavy in fear of you, like becoming too bulky (laughs) (laughs) um, as a runner that was pretty much the same thing. Like I had coaches at one point telling me like, I shouldn't even do bicep curls. Like I should just do air curls. to like, stimulate. <laughs> I was like, I don't know about that. So I threw myself into the weight room mm-hmm. and threw myself into bulking. And I had really no idea what I was doing from the like quote unquote bulking stages of things. Sure. My background and my degrees in exercise science with a minor in strength conditioning and coaching science. So I knew the, the science of like the actual lifting portion. That wasn't the problem. Like I got really, really strong, really fast, Mm -hmm. but the problem was I just had no idea what I was doing with the diet side of things. So I like to call it a dirty bulk. Um, I I blinked and I was like 195. I was like, wow, I never thought I would be close to 200. Like something's got to change. I didn't like the way I was moving. I didn't like the way I looked. Um, and I was like, talk about weird, like body image, you know, balance, right? Like mm-hmm. I didn't like the way I looked when I was really skinny, but I was this yeah. awesome performer in the pool. Yeah. I didn't like the way I was at 195. I was like, I gotta find some happy medium. That kind of started a journey of cutting. Do you think that that would have been different if you would have ended on a good note in, in college? It might've been less drastic. I think, I think I would have processed it a little bit better. I related a lot of times to like a bad breakup, right? Like if you and your significant other just split ways on like mutual terms, like you just agree that it's like, and you've both fully believe that then it's probably going to be a little bit of a weird transition, but it's not going to be one that knocks you way off course. But if, it's like this, oh yeah, like she absolutely hates you or he absolutely hates you. And yeah. like, it's ripped away from you. 
it's going to be a little bit more challenging to yeah. come to terms with like, who are you? And that was this question that I really had to start to ask, ask myself, like, who am I beyond swimming? Like, who am I beyond this mm-hmm. athlete? Because for 18 years at that point, I was put my hand out and introduced myself as, Hey, I'm Corey Camp, the swimmer. It's so nice to meet you. Like, yeah. what do you do? Uh, your final race. Mm-hmm. Did you ever think about like life after swimming or was it something that you just kind of like put out of your mind and then it happened? Or did you ever like prepare mentally f- for that kind of breakup, if you will, beforehand? Yeah, I, I think I had like talked about it and to be fair at that point in my career, I was telling myself I was ready to be done. Like I was tired of the practices and tired, all this and that. Mm. But I think it was just one of those like very surface level things. And I wasn't really actually like doing any deep work to say, okay, like, okay, what's, what's going on beyond this? Mm -hmm. Um, Who are you going to be? So I think if I had done that sooner and like started asking the right questions, talking to the right people sooner um, it definitely would have made it a little less of a drastic turn of events. Yeah. Okay. So now that you're like, you know, kind of through the transition, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, like what from your athletic career do you take into your everyday life? So you can still be that same person that you were, mm-hmm. but not have the, swimming like you know competitive practice and and that kind of stuff yeah it's a loaded question um i think the thing that i take the most honestly is this approach of it's never really like a destination that we're trying to get to and it Mm -hmm. shouldn't be but it should be this daily journey of just growing and looking at each day as this unique opportunity to be able to grow expand whether that is from an educational standpoint so i'm reading a ton whether it is from a career standpoint so i'm making sure i'm doing the the right things in my business to move the needle forward in that sense or just my own personal uh life and um my physical personal life too like i still love a good unique challenge running has been a great thing that I've picked up in the past nice. year with COVID um, the, the goals shifted very quickly from let's squat over 400 pounds to uh, let's run a marathon. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I've run two in the past year, um, just kind of on my own, figuring it out. And yeah. I, I love it. It's a really unique challenge, but it's really at the core taking that growth mindset and mm-hmm. what I approached every day of some practice with of like, how can I get a little bit better today? What can I work on? Yeah. Um, and starting to realize like I am more than just my physical body. Like it's, it doesn't have to define me, mm-hmm. but it is going to be in it. I prioritize my health and I yeah. never want to be someone that someone looks at and says, I don't believe that you swam at the level that you swam at. I want to be like always an express. I want to express my self through my physical body. Um, mm-hmm. So movement's obviously a key point of that. For yeah. And I like what you said there. Like you were, you're trying new ways to kind of push your body. Cause mm-hmm. I think that's 
like at the core, that's what I found was uh, with my transition outside of college. It was like, okay, I'm done running. I could still run, mm-hmm. but I'm never going to run at the, you know, four ten mile like I was in college. So unless with a lot of work and, you know, so that like didn't really make sense for me. So I picked up a new sport and I just, now I do obstacle course racing. So yeah. it's like, I'm still using my endurance background, but there's so much more to it that I can enjoy it again. And I'm not trying to like compare myself to how I was in college. Cause I think that's the danger of continuing to do your sport after college is you look at, Oh, I was, you know, a minute faster than I was now. Yeah. Uh, you know, so um, yeah, it's it's funny. One, I'm doing high rocks in a few weeks. Oh, nice! Super fun experience. Haven't done that yet, but it'll be it'll be a good time. And two, to your point, like I tried master swimming about a year and a half out of it, and I think the biggest blessing was the meets were actually in short course meters during the season time of the year that like I had tried it. Yeah. So like, for I never swam short course meters like college is always short course yards so i was like this is actually kind of fun like i have no idea what these times even mean yeah like, there's just i could do myself more harm than good and like look up and convert them into more uh-huh. metrics that i understand but i was like oh, i'm just not gonna do that <laughs> this is to yeah. me this is more fun because like the last time i swam short course meters was when i was 18 years old in summer league so at 22 or I guess at this point like 23 and a half or so it was like well I better be faster than I was at 18 even if I'm not training the same yeah and I was so that was like super kind of exciting again to keep things fresh Hmm. and then when it switched over to yards I was like yeah I'm good guys like thanks I'm gonna take a break again for this yeah (laughs) Uh, that's awesome that's awesome so if you could do the transition from sport to no sport, or maybe that's not the right word because you're still doing sport, but, yeah. um, you know, collegiate sport to out collegiate again, what would you change or what would you do differently um, in your experience? I'll plug my best. I would hire myself. No. <laughs> <laughs> I I would wish I would. The only thing I would change would just be like the advice of take a second to just pause and like, it's okay to be a beginner again. It's okay to take a second and just admit that you don't have all the right answers. And that's perfectly normal. Mm-hmm. In fact, if you can realize that, and the faster you can realize that, the sooner you're going to be able to quote unquote find the answer that you're really looking for. Because yeah. too many of us are just so quick to just, all right, like, let's just move on. Like, let's just rapid fire into the next thing. And if we're not taking time to really pause and process, then like you're going to have that lasting trauma to your point earlier of an injury. And it's just going to linger for longer and longer than it has to. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we're getting towards the end of our time here. So I want to let you uh, tell you a little bit more about your business. You kind of alluded to it, but like, what do you help 
or, or who do you help? How do you help them? And where can people find you? Yeah. Well, one, Jason, I just want to say thank you for the time today. This is a, a lot of fun going down memory lane, a little bit of the swim stuff. So yeah. appreciate it. Um, as far as the business itself, uh, it's personal performance coaching for former athletes. And what I like to say is I help them just light up the scoreboard of life. I, we take a really holistic health approach where we're looking at different things that fall into the body category. So looking at sleeping patterns, looking at nutrition, looking at mm-hmm. your physical fitness, but then we're also taking a look at your mind and your soul. Like what's your ability to lock into this present moment? How good are you at letting go of stuff in the past? Like, what's your self-love? How excited are you from a day-to-day life mm-hmm. standpoint? So I really help them just find, answer where they're at currently in those categories and be really strategic in finding ways to improve. Um, as far as people can find me at my website, it's just www.coreycamp.com. That whole, I, it's nine areas of focus. I actually have a uh, free handout for your audience okay. that's called your life scorecard that can be found on my website um so check it out it's a 10-day little guided course i coach you through nine different areas and see how you can improve in them um but yeah man i appreciate the time awesome yeah i've i've seen kind of different versions of those like scorecards and um it's it's a good exercise to go through and just say I'm, I evaluate myself here on this part of my life. Like, where do I mm. want to be? Um, we don't always take the time to think of that ourselves. So it's, it's good to have an outside perspective. So I appreciate what you do, uh, Corey. And if anybody is listening and they want to get in contact, I'll have all those links um, to Corey's website, his Instagram profile, and that kind of stuff in the show notes. So you can check him out uh, there as well. So Corey, thanks for being on the show. Jace, like I said, thank you. Uh, This is a lot of fun, man. Awesome. All right, episode's over. If you found value in this episode, please consider giving us a review on iTunes. And if you haven't already yet subscribed, do so now so you don't miss any important topics in the coming week. And if you have any questions or suggestions for the show, please send them my way. I am most responsive on Instagram. That's at jcheese, J-A-E, cheese, like the food, or email me directly at jace, J-A-S-E, at science of sportsrecovery.com. Talk soon.